from Bayside Church International Victor Harbour. This is Chad Mansbridge. Great to have you with us. And July is always a weird time. Well, school holidays always a strange time. A lot of our people away, but then obviously a lot of people visiting from you know the country and stuff like that. So uh, whoever you are, wherever you're from, we're glad that you've come to join us today. So you're all disappointed now because it was Jay's turn to preach today. You see, <sighs> we're. Let me explain. We're doing a, over winter, we're doing three, we're doing a few mini-series, okay? And uh, the first one we did for three weeks, Malcolm kicked off and we simply called it, listen, we spent three weeks, the importance of listening to God. We then segued from there with Leanne's story of her, uh, Alex's brother, where she segued from uh, looking at listening to God to speak. And so we did three weeks on the subject of speaking and uh, today, Jay was supposed to kick off the next three-week mini-series on the subject of Jono Now. There it is, okay. Of ACT. That's what that little guy is. He's a T, just in case you didn't know. Of ACT. But she came to me yesterday. She's been battling a thing all week. Not me. <laughs> That's been 19 years, that battle. Um, she came to me and she said, look... Oh, I don't think I can talk. I'm, I am, she, can't, she, can't, she can't speak. She lost her voice. Do you, think, do you think tomorrow you'll be able to pull something together and preach for me? And I answered her in the only way a husband would. And I said, whatever. <laughs> she said, do you have something to speak on? And I said, whatever. Because that's how cool people speak, you see. That's how us young people speak. If you want to be woke, which is kind of the new way of saying hip, okay? You woke. Then you say, whatever. I've got two teenagers. That's all they ever say. Tell, ask them something. Tell them something. And what do they say? Whatever. Whatever's abbreviated. So I'm starting a whole hashtag today. It's going to be hashtag whatever. Um, I even bought... Uh, Ebony was wearing a shirt the other night. She's even got a T-shirt. I think I bought it in Malaysia. Just hashtag whatever. So everyone give me some attitude and just say, whatever. Exactly. That's exactly what we're looking at today. So next time I, you... See, today's going to change your grid, you see. Next time you hear someone say, whatever, you're going to remember this message today because that's exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about whatever. But I'm going to start with a YouTube video because, again, that's how cool people do it. Because I'm so young, you see. I'm getting... I'm turning 40 this year, and so I'm trying to, whatever, be woke. I don't even know what a hashtag is. I don't, I don't do Twitter. Twitter. Um, Matt came to worship team on Thursday night, and he showed us a virus video, a viral video. Uh, it's been going around on the interwebs this week, and uh, it's a guy who was speaking just two months ago at the Harvard graduation of students, and he's... Um, been a grad before, but he himself is a grad. And um, it's an eight-minute talk. Uh, this is a cut-down version of three minutes. All right? So I'm going to give you a break from my voice and uh, see what this guy picks up about the generation to which he is speaking. It's late at night, and you start browsing Netflix looking for something to watch. You scroll through different titles. You even read a few reviews. But you just can't commit to watching any given movie. Suddenly it's been 30 minutes and you're still stuck in infinite browsing mode. So you just give up. You're too tired to watch anything now. 
So you cut your losses and fall asleep. I've come to believe that this is the defining characteristic of our generation. <laughs> Let's call it keeping our options open. <laughs> Leaving home and coming here is a lot like entering a long hallway. You walk out of the room in which you grew up and into this place with thousands of different doors to infinitely browse. When Hollywood tells tales of courage, they usually take the form of slaying the dragon. It's all about the big brave moments. The most menacing dragons that stand in the way are the everyday boredom and distraction and uncertainty that can erode our ability to commit to anything for the long haul. As I've grown older here, I've also started seeing the downsides of having so many open doors. Nobody wants to be stuck behind a locked door, but nobody wants to live in a hallway either. It's great to have options when you lose interest in something, but I've learned here that the more times I do this, the less satisfied I am with any given option. And lately, the experiences I crave are less the rushes of novelty and more those perfect Tuesday nights when you eat dinner with the friends who you have known for a long time, who you've made a commitment to, and who won't quit you because they found someone better. We may have come here to help keep our options open, but I leave believing that the most radical act we can take is to make a commitment to a particular thing, to a place, to a profession, to a cause, to a community, to a person. To show our love for something by working at it for a long time. And to close doors and forego options for its sake. We need not be afraid, for we have in our possession the antidote to our dread, our time, free to be dedicated to the slow but necessary work of turning visions into projects, values into practices, and strangers into neighbors. We should pick a damn movie and see it all the way through. There is actually a, that is, as I said, edited, and there's a, if you watch the unedited version right at the end when he closes, he says this, he says, in this age of liquid modernity, he's talking about being, people being liquid, therefore they don't commit to anything because you're keeping options open, like a liquid modernity. We should rebel and join up with a counterculture of commitment consisting of solid people. Not liquid people, but solid people. That is why in this age of infinite browsing mode, we should pick a damn movie and see it all the way through before we fall asleep Let's get to work. That's how he finishes his speech. Before we fall asleep, let's actually do something and let's get to work. You know, like students at Harvard University, an effective Christian must listen. Like good students, an effective student must be able to speak because it is with words that we formulate our thoughts and our thoughts have life. It's one of the things that Jordan Peterson's 
um, speaking all over the world when he says this notion that the things out of chaos are given order by the word. Chaotic thoughts are ordered by the words. Out of chaos, God spoke and order came. Out of the Logos, the word became something and the word formed something. It is with our thoughts, which are words. That's why free, being free to speak is so important. So we can, we don't even know what you're thinking unless you're able to speak it out. We must, like good students, be able to listen. We must, like good students, be able to speak. But like these students, the effective Christian must also act, must get practical, must get committed and must get our hands to work to actually do something. Last Sunday afternoon, after our meeting here, we had a bunch of leaders over at our house, it's probably about 16 of us or so, and we had a committed prayer time for about an hour and a half. And in launching that prayer time, I opened up to Zechariah chapter 8, it's a chapter that God spoke to us about this time in June, 16 years ago, 2002, when I was praying about uh, God speaking to us about giving us a word for this church before we were even birthed, as it were, I said, God, I need a word for this church. You're asking us to lead and plant. And he op- I opened my Bible and Zechariah 8 was there. And just one verse after the next, things just came alive to me. And I, I take that as like a prophetic, there's a, that, that chapter is full of prophetic promises to us. And that's exactly what it is, it's full of promises. Yet in those verses, there's about 10 times in that chapter, that one chapter alone, that start with the words... For the Lord Almighty says, the Lord Almighty says, the Lord Almighty says, He's communicating there in Zechariah 8, we need to be a people that listen. And then He goes on to say in verse 16, now these are the things that you are to do. After all the promises He gives, these are things you are to do and He says, you are to speak the truth. Listen, speak, and then twice He says this, for I want you to put your, let your hands be strong so that the temple may be built. Let your hands be strong. Listen, speak and act. These are hallmarks of the effective Christian life. He wants them to listen. He wants them to say something and he wants them to do something. And the hope, our hope for this, these mini-series is, <laughs> mini-seri, you know, plural, the mini-seri is to give you greater confidence, embrace a greater confidence, but also embrace a higher responsibility to be a people who are committed to listening and confident in listening, hearing God, to be a people who speak, to be confident in your speaking, and to be a people who act, who both have the confidence to act on what God has said, but also the responsibility to do whatever whatever it is that he has spoken and so this morning it's going to be kind of a different structure different way of preaching for me today I'm going to do what uh, I you know often preachers do and I say oh you shouldn't really do that I'm going to do exactly that I've cherry-picked a whole bunch of scriptures uh, on on this subject that I'm just going to take out of context without even explaining them I mean that is so not me you can go home and get the context yourself but uh, I'm going to pick some great one-liners on this subject of whatever that I want you to take home with you this morning. You okay? Let's do it. It's good to see you, Don. Nice to see you. Good to see you here. Philippians 1.27 says this. Philippians 1.27. 
whatever happens, everybody say, whatever, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Of course, the context of this verse is important. You can read it both beginning, before he speaks this word and then afterwards, he's talking about the possibility, Paul, of his impending death. I might die, I might stay alive, I might see you again, I may never see you all again, we may never lay eyes on each other, but at the end of the day, whatever happens, you make sure you conduct yourself in a way that is worthy of the gospel. He then goes on to say, you don't know if your life's going to have suffering that comes. You don't know if people are going to persecute you. You don't know if you're going to have a peaceful time. You don't know what's going to happen in your future. But at the end of the day, whatever happens, you make sure that you conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Because whatever happens, you have a responsibility to act, act appropriately. Whatever happens around me, I'm responsible for my decisions, for my behavior, for my attitude, for my actions and for my conduct. And as always with Paul, this is the way he structures most all of his letters to the churches. He spends, let's just say the first half, getting them grounded in what their identity is. This is who you are. You are holy. You are blameless. You're a citizen. You're a son. You're a saint. You have been redeemed. This is all the stuff that God's done for you. And then he says, now in light of that, live accordingly. Live appropriately. Because your purpose in life is not just to know Him, it is out of knowing Him to then show Him to the world. Live as who you are. That's the basis on which he can say, conduct yourself like this because it is in view of God's awesome mercy. And so hidden in this verse, you can't really tell in this translation, the New Living brings it out. But where it says, conduct yourselves, the word there comes from, it actually infers, conduct yourselves as, as a citizen. It's the word politi- politico something. It's a political word, okay? Uh, conduct yourselves as a citizen of heaven. Because you're a citizen, whatever happens, you act like that. You act like a citizen of heaven because no matter what happens on earth, that identity is unchanged. That is who you are. So act like it. It's amazing. When Paul is writing to the Corinthian believers and they're sleeping around with temple prostitutes and and, uh, all manner of stuff, he doesn't say to them, don't you know that the Ten Commandments say you shall not commit adultery? That would be a good verse. They're they're, they're out with temple prostitutes week after week. And he says, listen, don't you know that you shan't commit adultery? No, he doesn't do that. He says, don't you know who you are? Don't you know you're a holy temple? Don't you know? Well, they're not behaving holy. That's, That's irrelevant. They are. They are saints. He calls them in the opening verses of Corinthians. He's about to write to people sleeping around with prostitutes. And he says, to the holy ones in Corinth. Because that's who they are. And so he doesn't ask them to act outside of who they are. They act outside of their, uh, only because of who they are, as per their identity. Okay, so it's very important. He doesn't give them a command. He says, just be who you are, for goodness sake. You've been a bunch of hypocrites by living unholy, because that's not what you are. (laughs) You are holy. You're a holy temple. So stop doing that. Act accordingly. So this is 
in that verse as well. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves as a citizen of heaven, because that's what you are, and conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy or that is reflective of the gospel of Christ. He puts it this way, slightly different to the Colossians, Colossians 3.17, where he says, and whatever you do, come on, everyone say, whatever, 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 whatever you do, whether it is your words or your deeds, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him, giving thanks to God the Father. Everything I do is in response to what God the Father has already done for me. What I do is in response to what God has already done for me. I'm looking behind, rested on that knowledge that God loves me. I know that, and as I look forward, I do everything I do in the name of Jesus. Now, in the name of Jesus isn't the magic wand that we put at the end of our prayers. Pray, 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 pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. No, you just got to cap it off like that or it's not official, you know. No, in the name of Jesus isn't a, isn't a little tag at the end of our prayer. In the name of Jesus means according to His reputation, according to His character, if, if you were to do something in the name of Chad, if you were to represent me, I, I, ask, I send you on an errand. I say, Louis, I want you to go and do this for me. Go to that person. They know me. Say, you're here on behalf of Chad and I'm asking for this. If I was to send someone on an errand to do that, they would be asking something in my name. And so it would be important to me that they would reflect my nature as they do that. That they didn't go and run their errand and be rude about it. Okay, or, 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 or scream at someone, or demand something from someone, or be arrogant. Or, no, 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 because that doesn't, I hope, <laughs> I hope that doesn't, <laughs> you can tell me later if it does, I hope that doesn't reflect my nature and my character. You're going there to represent me, go in my name. So, so it means go in my authority, but it also means go according to my character. So to conduct yourselves as a citizen of heaven in a way worthy of the gospel, because what God has done, and to conduct yourselves whatever you do in the name of the Lord Jesus doesn't mean that whatever you do, you say, in the name of Jesus. Posting letters today, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. You don't have to do that. But whatever you do, whatever you give yourself to, do it with this goal in mind. I am doing this to reflect accurately the nature of who Jesus is. I'm doing this to display His goodness out of gratitude for what the Father has done for me. I'm doing whatever I do in the knowledge that I'm a representative of God on the earth. I'm a citizen of heaven on this planet and I represent as an ambassador that place from which I come. So whatever you do, or whatever you speak, do it in the knowledge that I'm a representative of Christ in this world and I'll do so in accordance with the reputation and the character of the King. A, yes. Amen. And this wouldn't be a complete... I know I sort of hashed this together yesterday, but I still need three points, right? Whatever. I'm going to give you three little proverbs because I'm reading proverbs at the moment as you all are in the chronological Bible reading plan with me. We're up to proverbs this week. I'm going to give you three practical proverbs this morning that help us focus on acting in accordance with the character of Christ. The first thing is this, whatever you do, whatever you do, 
Put some passion into it. Whatever you do, put some passion into it. This comes again from Colossians, further down, chapter 3, verse 23. Colossians 3, 23 says, whatever you do, I'm saying it again, say whatever, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart or soul as working for the Lord, not for men. Because you know that you will receive an inheritance or an award from the Lord as a reward. Well, there it is. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So because it is the Lord Christ you are serving in response to what He's done for you and in reaching forward to what lies ahead, whatever you do, give it your heart. Whatever you do, put some passion into it. If something's worth doing, it's worth doing passionately. And the good thing is that passion can be manifested and demonstrated by both extroverts and introverts. You quiet people know that you can demonstrate passion for things. It's just that your energy might not come from being up front or being in the crowd. Your energy comes from that private moments of, yes, high five myself. Yes, awesome. Okay, your energy and your passion comes in those alone moments when as an introvert you're doing something, but you know you can be passionate. Don't say this point doesn't apply to me because I'm an introvert. No, your passion comes out in your art. Your passion comes through your pen. Your passion comes through your keyboard, some of you. Your passion comes through your fingers or comes through your thoughts. Your passion will come out. All of us are designed to be passionate because we're all created in the image of a God who said, I am a consuming fire. Our God is a God of passion. Our God is a God of passion. In that Zechariah chapter 8, the opening verse says, I'm jealous for Zion. I'm, I'm burning, he says, I'm burning with jealousy for my people. Oh, how come God can be jealous? I thought jealousy was a sin. Jealousy's not good. There's a difference between jealousy that God has and envy. Because envy is where you want something that's not rightfully yours. And you're passionate about something that's not rightfully yours or someone else's. That's not good. That's envy. But jealousy is where you're passionate about something that is yours. You're passionate about something that is yours. That's my business. That's my wife. They're my kids. Get your hands off them. They're mine. God feels like that towards His people. He is passionate towards His people. God is a consuming fire. God is passionate and so you can be too. The greatest command, after all, is to love the Lord your God with 5% 5% of your heart. No, I, I believe in tithing, so I, I give God 10% of my heart. No, I love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. That's a passionate statement. Romans 12 says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor in serving the Lord. Never be lacking in zeal, which means that zeal is always available to you. Passion is always available. The emotional experience of it may not always be but there is passion available don't be lacking in zeal whatever you do put some passion push some passion fruit into it i'm gonna get some passion fruit this year come on come on i want my passion fruit this year 
I planted a tree, I planted a vine last year. We've never been able to get passion fruit to work. This year, this year. We're talking about whatever you do, conduct yourselves in a manner that represents Christ well. And among the many things that I love him for, one thing about Jesus is that he's passionate. When he saw the multitudes, he said, it says there in the scripture, he had compassion on them. He had passion for them. Which is why he did something about the issue. He had compassion on them when he was alone in the garden Weeping, Hebrews says, he offered up prayers with loud cries. With loud cries and tears. It's okay every now and again, some of you more often than others, to have a good loud cry. To offer up loud cries and tears. But God's made you passionate. My favourite moment really of passion, probably, except for the cross of course, which is called the passion of the cross, right? The reason for that is not to... Yeah. But just in John chapter 2, after he does the water into wine thing, he, he makes his way to a temple and many of you know the story, but there's, as he walks, there's, there's different um, courtyards in the temple area and people who were not Jewish, they weren't of the proper pedigree, okay, they could only worship out there in the foyer. They weren't allowed into this room. Okay, so you, you outsiders, you, you stay out there. And what the Jewish people were doing is they were setting up tables and selling animals and doves and all that which is fine because people needed that stuff to worship with so it was actually a legitimate business thing it was a legitimate thing to do but they were doing it in the court in the area that was reserved for non-jewish people to worship and so non-jewish people would travel to worship and the space that was relegated to them was full of noise full of animals full of bartering full of money full of ex exchange going on so when Jesus overturns the tables, he says, my house should be called a house of prayer for all people. Okay, it's not that God has an issue with people buying and selling. I don't think that's a healthy interpretation. I think the interpretation is they were doing it in the place where all people were supposed to worship. And you are stopping all people from coming. It's almost like a selfish way of doing church. We do church in a way, but only if you've been a Christian for 10 years do you really understand what's going on. If you're a first-timer, we're going to make you feel really uncomfortable. Oh, that's a bit selfish, isn't it? So Jesus came along and he kicked those tables over and he says, this is, the, this is a house of prayer for all people to come and you're stopping all people from coming here. And then it says this, the disciples watched what happened and they remembered a psalm that said, zeal for the Father's house will consume me. Jesus was consumed with passion for his Father's business and passion for his Father's house. And he sat down that day on the steps of the temple and he got out cords and he put a whip together. He braided a whip. I love that. Have you ever braided, I don't know whether it was string or metal, you know, had a bit of a broken bone there, turn it, a bit of broken glass, yeah, turn that, yeah, a bit of metal, yeah, good, okay, that'll, yeah, oh, that's a good whip. He, he went through, he kicked over tables, he raised his voice, he cracked a whip, and he said, This is my dad's house. What the heck do you think you're doing? Put some passion into it, because that's Jesus. That is my Jesus. 
my table kicker. <laughs> Lord, there's none like you. Okay, that's him. He's the table kicking Lord. Something's worth doing. It's worth doing passionately. Number two, whatever you do, put some passion into it. Number two is this, whatever you do, put some thought into it. Haven't had enough coffees for that, have you? Whatever you do, put some thought into it. Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the one, Psalm 1, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or in counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but rather his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on God's law, he meditates, he thinks, Day and night. He's a thinker, this man. As a result of that, he is like a tree that's planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, prospers. Say, whatever, whatever he does, prospers. Who is this man? Well, among other things, he's a thinker. He's a man who meditates. He's a man who thoughts, he thinks, he's a man who understands. I'm not going to hang out with that group or sit in their council. I'm going to get advice from there. I'm not going to listen to that voice. I'm going to meditate on those, that voice. I'm not going to spend time on those thoughts. Tell yourself that every now and again, don't you? Stop thinking those thoughts. Stop spending time. Stop hiring out space in your mind to those thoughts. Evict them. I need to think about these thoughts. And this man... Whatever he does, brings prosperity and success with it. What we see here is the thoughtful person who is aware of getting counsel from others and renewing his mind. Proverbs 19.2 says, It's not good to have zeal without knowledge. So we talked about passion and foot, well, do everything passionately. But yeah, yeah, it's not good just to have passion or zeal without knowledge. Paul explains this in Romans when he talks about the Jewish people of his day and he says, listen, they are zealous but they don't know what they're talking about. Their zeal does not come with knowledge. We face the same issue in, in our society today where passion is so elevated and the media is really good at this, passion gets attention. Okay, It's not boring speeches you know, you can have, a, you can have a, a, a politician get up and say, you know, we've halved the unemployment rate. Or, you know, in the, in the last 40 years, we've, we've halved worldwide the uh, abject poverty around the world. Yep, really. Made incredible advances on planet Earth, but the people who are saying those things are academics or politicians that aren't as passionate. Who gets the most voice or attention from the media, it's the ones who are screaming the loudest. The, okay, so the most passionate people get the attention. And what happens with that attention comes higher credibility. And so we have, a, we have a society where because we value passion so much, we don't care that much if it's coming with knowledge or not. Now, that's dangerous. Because we like passion because that's good click. You can click on that. that that's what we call clickbait. Oh, that's a good story. Oh, someone's, people are burning fire. Oh, that's a good story. Protest. Oh, we'll read, we'll read about all the passionate things, but zeal without knowledge is no good. Okay, so that's why we know. Um, yeah, so 
statistically, more than half, apparently, of our university students nowadays are big fans of socialism. Okay? Which is part of what happens when you teach history and you only start in the 1960s. So they're passionate about something that they've never experienced. They're passionate about something that's never, ever, ever, ever worked. Passion without good knowledge. And so they can cry and scream, it gets attention, but you need passion with knowledge. If you, something's worth doing, whatever you do, do it with passion, but also do it thoughtfully. Be well-educated, think well, do it thoughtfully. And Jesus demonstrates this as well. Jesus is intentional. Jesus is deliberate. Jesus is considered. There's a moment where it, it looks like Jesus is, is contradicting himself. In John chapter 7, his brothers come to him and he says, Listen, bro, I'm sure they called him bro. Listen, bro, it's time to go to Jerusalem. There's a festival. If you want to be the public figure that you want to be, you might as well come and let everyone know you're around. Who, who stays here in private? Come and make yourself known. And he says, no, nah, not going. And his brothers go. And then two verses later, it says, then Jesus went to Jerusalem. So he said no. And then he thought about it. And he went on his own terms. He didn't go publicly with his brothers who wanted, you know, everyone, all the cameras to be around him. He thought about it. He said, yeah, I'm going to go to Jerusalem but I'm going to do it on my terms. I'm going to think about it because it's not quite my time yet. Jesus was a considered person. He didn't contradict himself. He just gave it some consideration before acting. In Luke 14, talking about being disciples, he says, nobody, if you want to be a disciple, he says, nobody builds a wall without first putting some good thought into it. No king goes to war without first thinking about it and considering it. And he says, so it should be with you as you follow me, a disciple is someone who is thoughtful, who is considered. When he sat down or when he was preparing to feed the multitude, he had compassion on them. And then he didn't just have compassion and do something about it. He sat back with that compassion and he thought about it. 5,000 men here, 5,000 women, a bunch of kids. There's almost 20,000 people here. I think we need to sit people in the groups. Let's do that first. So he didn't just act out of passion. He thought and he administered. He sat people down into groups so that the thing could happen orderly. Jesus is a passionate man, but he's also a thoughtful man. And even with that favorite story of the whip in the temple, that wasn't a, an act of anger. Jesus didn't lose his bananas. You know, he, didn't have, he didn't have a fit of rage. He sat down on the steps he made a whip that might have taken him an hour. He thought about it. He was considered. He knew what he was doing. He knew which scripture he was going to quote. He was considered in his passion. And of course, when he went to the cross, with all that passion, it was something that he'd thought deeply about. He knew it was coming. He'd considered it. Whatever you do, put some passion into it because that represents Jesus well. And whatever you do, put some thought into it. That's also the Jesus that we are called to represent. Amen. One more. Whatever you do, put some passion into it. Whatever you do, put some thought into it. And whatever you do, put 
some effort into it. Put your back into it, boy. This comes from Ecclesiastes, uh, which most of us think was written by Solomon. And he says this in verse nine, uh, chapter 9, 10. He says, whatever your hand finds to do. Come on, last time. Everyone say, whatever, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Because when you're dead, in the grave where you are going to be one day, there's no more working, there's no more planning, there's no more knowledge, and there's no more wisdom. Hebrews had this idea of death being a place of silence, darkness, of, of quietness, of nothing. It's like when, so when Samuel, the prophet, was raised from the dead by the witch, you know, with King Saul. That's a weird story. It's in there, it's in there. He, he goes, why'd you wake me up for? What are you doing? Why'd you disturb me? I was having a good rest. He says, listen, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, because when you're dead, that's it. You got one shot. Eminem theology. You got one shot. Only half of you got that. Okay. It's not the little chocolate balls, okay? If a job's worth doing, do it right. And all the builders in the house know if the job's worth doing, do it once. Is that right, Don? Just do it right, do it once. If a job's worth doing, put some effort into it. And Jesus, again, modelled this for, for us. He worked hard. That's why we see him getting tired. The whole story about when they, he chatted with the woman at the well was because Jesus was tired. He was stuffed. He had a big day. He'd been working hard. And he just needed to sit down and have a drink. Needed to find a watering hole. Needed to be the place where we could just chill out for a bit because his people are driving me crazy. No, because he's working hard. That's the reason he fell asleep on a boat. He was tired. Jesus worked hard. You know, we shouldn't be afraid of tiredness. Because there is a healthy exhaustion that comes with the satisfaction of knowing, job well done. I hate the tiredness of air-conditioned rooms, computers, not being active. That's the worst tiredness. Or the tiredness of boredom or procrastination. You know that? You've done nothing and I'm exhausted. <laughs> because I've done nothing. But there's nothing like... <laughs> Yeah. How, how does the saying, what does the saying go? Hard earned thirst. Hard earned thirst. <laughs> you can get it any old how. <laughs> my, my pop used to drink VB and he didn't, he didn't work for it. He just, he just <laughs> <laughs> but there's nothing satisfying than your beverage of choice after a big day's work, when you put out energy and you put out effort, that kind of tiredness is a good thing. Come on, you know it. And again, we see this with Jesus at the cross, where he had an all or nothing commitment that took it to the end. That took a lot of effort. 
to do what Jesus did. Emotionally, physically, he put, literally put it all on the line. He put his back into it, literally. And John 19 on the cross, you know, Jesus has these seven famous last words that he speaks as he's dying, right? And John 19 is where he says, it is finished, okay? And then it says there that he bowed his head and breathed his last. He bowed his head. And what's really interesting, I did a study on this once, the Greek word there for bowed. He didn't bow his head out of defeat. (gasps) He didn't bow his head out of exhaustion or out of, I'm over this. We've all bowed bowed our head like that, right? I'm just done, I'm over this. He bowed his head, the word there means he intentionally placed his head in a place of rest like you do on a pillow. It's the same word he says, you know, foxes, they've got their holes to go to and birds, they've got nests that they can sleep at night. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head or to bow his head. On the cross, Jesus finally found his pillow because it was job well done. I'm done now. I put effort into this. I'm spent. Now I can now rest. And he bowed his head. Jesus didn't have his life taken from him because he says, I think it's in John as well, he says, no man, who do you think you are to think you can take your life from me? (laughs) You know, I give my life up of my own accord, thank you very much. Jesus volunteered his last breath and he deliberately put his head down and said, that's it, I've done my job, I've worked hard, I'm spent. What's your point, preacher? Whatever. Whatever. Whatever you do, put some effort into it because that represents Jesus well. Whatever you do, put some thought into it because that also represents him well. Whatever you do, put some passion into it because whatever you do, giving thanks to God the Father for what he's done for you, do everything you do now to represent his name well. And whatever happens, today, tomorrow, whatever news you got last night, whatever hoon came down the road at your house at 80Ks an hour, midnight last night, you know, whatever happens, whatever happens, you take responsibility for your actions. My attitude is my attitude. My words are my words. My conduct is my conduct. My actions are my actions. And whatever happens, whatever others do, I'm going to conduct myself in a manner that's worthy of the gospel that I've received, the Father that has loved me, and the Jesus that has set an example for me. Why don't the rest of the band come? Maybe you could stand your feet. Rob, could you pray for us, bro? Because I feel like bowing my head. Great message, Chad. I hope that helped you. I really hope that helped you. I hope you go away with with those, those thoughts and apply them. You know why? Because they're from God and they work. They really do. So Heavenly Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would come. Come Holy Spirit 
and burn into our hearts the things we've heard today. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd put something in the heart of everyone that will make a difference into who they are and how they conduct their life and as to how they live, that you'd increase passion, you'd increase energy to put some effort into it, you'd increase mind power to really just think about things in your presence. So we bless you, Lord. You're absolutely awesome. You're absolutely awesome. So today, we lift our hearts and we lift our voices and we honour you, Lord Jesus. We honour you, Lord Jesus. Come on, lift your voices. We honour you, Lord Jesus. We honour you, Lord. This has been a podcast from Bayside Church International. Thanks for listening.